you. Uh, thanks, Janet. Uh, thanks, Charlie, for going and for uh, for sharing with us. <clears throat> um, today I'm going to talk about Jonah. Uh, this morning as I was getting ready to <clears throat> to leave for church, I asked Manny, uh, Manny, do you, she's my uh, just recently turned five-year-old daughter. Um, I said, Manny, uh, did you learn about, do you know who Jonah is? And she said, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, who is he? And she didn't, uh, she didn't feel like telling me because she was watching TV. So I said, did, um, did Jonah eat a fish or did he get eaten by a fish? She said, he got eaten by a fish. I said, okay, good. That's ba- basically uh, all she knew about Jonah. And that's probably what a lot of us know about Jonah. He was a wayward prophet. But the reality is that, you know, if you've grown up in church, you probably heard the story of Jonah. You always equated him with a fish or a whale. Even people outside of the church, when they hear the name Jonah, they think of the runaway prophet. And I think as we grow older, we begin to realize, well, that's kind of, that's kind of weird that a fish no matter how big a fish is, could actually swallow a human being. You ever wonder that? I've, I've wondered that on many occasions as I drew big fish for vacation Bible school or for children's ministry stuff on the mission field. This is weird that a fish would swallow a human being. There's a book by a man named Harold Rimmers called The Harmony of Science and Scripture. And he talks about the fact that throughout history, there have been between five and ten people that have been swallowed by fish or whales before. Isn't that crazy? There is a guy in the Falkland Islands named, uh, I forget the guy's name, 1891. He um, <clears throat> fell off of a boat and for a couple of days he was missing. And a bunch of whale wash- watchers found a whale that was beached. They cut him open and there he was inside that fish. He was still living. He said it was unbearably hot in there. And it was slimy inside of the stomach, but he said he could breathe pretty well. Crazy. After two days, there was another guy. Um, he was a British guy, and he um, was, a, was a sailor, and he fell into the water. They couldn't find him. Fellow sailors, uh, it was, a, again, a couple days later, found this uh, fish that was kind of belly up and floating on the surface of the water. They took that fish, they cut it, and there was their fellow friend. He was like, hey, I'm in here. He had turned ghostly white. He said his skin was, was bleached white, and he said he never, it never got back to normal after that. Crazy stuff. There was another, another one where they found this dog. <laughs> this dog. They found a dog. <laughs> they cut the fish open, and the dog was barking. He had been in, or she had been in there for six days. Six days barking. Rah, rah, rah. What, 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 this is crazy. I've never been in a doghouse like this before. But the dog was in there, and after six days, they found it barking. It's crazy stuff. So it's happened. I mean, this is, it's, a, it's a miracle of God, but it does happen. I think all that to say that when we get so caught up and hung up on the fish, we miss out on the story and the meaning and the purpose for which God put Jonah in the Bible. So we're going to talk about Jonah today. He's a prophet. Right? He's a, not, not the best of prophets, but he was a prophet. You remember uh, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, civil war, two kingdoms, right? Ten in the north, Israel, two in the south, Judah. Okay, so today's the last day we're going to talk about the northern kingdom, Israel, because after today, we're going to see they're going to get demolished and they're going to be no, no longer. So we'll just focus on the southern kingdom. But as it were, there were a bunch of prophets that preached to the northern kingdom or during the time of the northern kingdom's existence. So, so like Isaiah, Hosea, they both prophesied during the time that the northern kingdom was still around. Jonah was preaching in a similar time, right around 700s. 
before Christ. In the year 722 is when Israel was, was no longer because they got crushed by these evil, evil people called the Assyrians, right? The Assyrians would come and they ransacked uh, the capital city. They took it by storm and, and Israel was no longer there, right? replaced by some other groups of people. So this is where Jonah was preaching. But today, Jonah's message is not to the people of Israel. It's actually he was called to go to these evil Assyrian people and to tell them that they needed to repent. And so this is Jonah. We're going to look into his message. Um, It's very interesting. He's different because the focus of Jonah, unlike all of the other prophetic books in the Old Testament, is not about his message because his message is encapsulated in one sentence. We're going to see that. But the focus of Jonah being in the Bible is not his message, but it is his life story. It's a story of his life. We're going to read Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. And then um, I don't know if it's going to come up on here, but if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to open it. Jonah, because there's a lot of different passages that we're going to go through. It is a good practice in general to have your Bible and to open it up. Um, yeah. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read it. We'll give a brief overview in 15-second in overview, and then we'll go into our thoughts here. Okay, this is God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found the ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here's Jonah just kind of hanging around. He's a prophet. And God says, go to Nineveh, capital city of the evil Assyrian Empire. So Jonah uh, doesn't say anything to him. It just says in verse 3 that he runs away. Four chapters in Jonah. Here we go. Four chapters. First chapter. Go to Nineveh. That's what God says. Here's what Jonah says in four chapters. Chapter 1, he says, I won't go. Chapter 2, he says, fine, I'll go. Chapter 3, he says, I'm here. Chapter 4 says, I shouldn't have come. Very simple outline. I'm not going Fine, I'll go. I'm here. I shouldn't have come. Okay, four, four points. That's it. Or four, four, that's the outline. That's not the thoughts. Okay, three things that we see here about Jonah, though. The first thing is that God sends us to Nineveh because he loves them. All right. God sends us to Nineveh because he loves them. God sends Jonah to Nineveh because he loves them. Jonah and God could not be on, different, on, on more different wavelengths. Word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because his wickedness come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. Okay, so geographically, this is what's going on. You've got, pretend you've got the map of the United States of America. Jonah's hanging out in the Midwest. He's in Illinois. God says, go to Washington, D.C. Jonah goes to L.A. That's where he goes. The complete opposite. So God says, go this way. He goes this way. God says, go east. He says, I'm going west. Okay, complete opposite directions. Not only that, but look at it from a literary standpoint. It says in verse 2, its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, so God is pictured as being up. Wickedness has come up before me. But look at what Jonah does in verse 3. He went down to Joppa. Okay, God is up here. 
Jonah's going down further and further. He's running further and further away from the Lord. Why? Why is he doing that? What's the deal? Because God said to him, go to Nineveh. Okay, what is Nineveh? Again, the capital of Assyria, the most powerful and dominant empire of that time, soon to be replaced by Babylon. But at that time, the Assyrians were a cruel, bad group of people. Archaeologists have studied them and found some ruins and some, some writings and drawings and sketches about how awful they were. They were terrible people. They would uh, peel their prisoners, they would peel their skin off of them in order to torture them. They didn't just kill them, but they tortured them. They would dismember people, but they would leave one hand so that as they were dying, they could shake their hand before they died. Just awful, awful people. They would decapitate their enemies, and then they would create pyramids with their heads. Just a nasty people, burning their children, this is not the kind of people that you invite over for dinner, not the kind of people that you want to hang out. You don't go to Nineveh for a vacation. Right? They were a bad, cruel, awful group of people. And so God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Why didn't he go? Is he scared of them? It could possibly be that he's scared of them, and that's usually what we hear. But if you look at chapter 4, let me tell Jonah's going to eventually go. He's going to preach to Nineveh. 120,000 people are going to be revived. They're going to turn to the Lord. In verse four, chapter 4, this is after all this has happened. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What's Jonah's deal? The reason he doesn't go to Nineveh is because he knows they're wicked. He knows they're awful. He knows they're cruel. But he also knows that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, that if he preaches to them that in the mercy of God, they're going to repent and they're going to get saved. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to, I can't live, I can't live like that. He says, these people are evil, they're cruel, they deserve to die and go to hell. That's what he's saying. He says, I know you're going to do that. I know that you're gracious, you love them. I know that if I go and I preach to them, that they're going to repent. They're going to come back. They're going to come to know you. And quite frankly, that's not the way it should be in Jonah's mind. Because that can't happen. So he says, you know what? I would rather die than have them come to know you. I would rather die than have them saved. That's what he's saying. That's kind of sickening, isn't it? But I think there's a lot of Jonah in us, too. Aren't there a group of people that you don't really care about? You'd rather not reach out to them? That you don't really care if they were to die and go to hell? I mean, are there people like that? And I mean, if I'm honest with you, in the evil part of my heart, I feel that way towards some people. None of you, but towards some people I do. Not towards specific people necessarily. I don't think there's anyone like that. But can I be honest with you? When I think about the people in Iraq, this group ISIS, and I, I see things that I shouldn't have watched because it will forever haunt me. And I, watch, I, I, I saw a video that I shouldn't have seen. I see, hear some of the things that they're doing. Quite frankly, there's a part of me that says, yeah, I'd rather they die and go to hell. 
I don't like that I feel this way, and I pray that I don't. Be, and, and, and my prayers have, have changed. I used to, when you pray for them, what do you pray? If you pray for Iraq and Syria, what do you pray? When you pray for these terrorist groups, what do you pray? I pray that they, their downfall would come. I pray that they would get justice. They would get judgment. But when we had a, a prayer meeting for specifically praying for this, I, I asked people, what do you think we should pray for? And someone said we should pray that they get saved. Like, that's not even on my radar. Like, there's a part of me that, that couldn't care less if they, if they just died. And I hate that my heart is so evil that way. But am I the only one? I don't know. There are people maybe that, that you don't really care about too. Maybe we're not like Jonah, that we'd rather die than have them come to know Jesus. But there's people that we think don't really matter too, aren't there? There's people that, like Jonah, what, basically what he's saying, he was isolating himself from them, saying, they're there, I'm here, they don't deserve it, I might. But it's this us versus them mentality. And every time we create an us versus them mentality, we think we deserve these things, but we think they don't deserve it. This is the same thing that the prodigal son, the older son in Luke 15 did. He, didn't, he, he dehumanized his younger brother. Didn't say, my brother's come home. He said, this son of yours. He created an object out of him rather than saying, he's, part, he's, he's a human being just like me. And when we do this, we separate the bad people from the community of humanity and we separate ourselves from this, the, the community of the wicked and we say, I deserve good, but they deserve bad. That's what Jonah was saying. They're an evil, wicked people. You know, God, do you know all the bad things that they've done? I don't want them to be saved. They don't, I don't care about them, quite frankly. And what God is saying is, I'm sending you there because I love them. I'm sending you there because I care for them. I wouldn't send you there if I didn't. And that's what he's trying to get Jonah to see. Because to them, to Jonah, they don't, they don't matter. And, and God says, this is a great city, 120,000 people, he says in chapter 4, that don't know their left hand from their right. This is basically a euphemism saying, these are kids. They don't know anything. They're kids that I love. And I'm sending you there because I love them. He says, would you see that? He's trying to get, all of Jonah's been trying to get him to see that. But Jonah doesn't care. He doesn't give a rip. He says, I'd rather die than have them come to repentance and faith. The early part of the 2000s, there's a movie called I Am Sam. Um, it, just, it was a great movie. Sean Penn stars. I think he was nominated for an Oscar in it, but he's a mentally handicapped guy. And uh, he's got this daughter named uh, Lucy, named Lucy. And um, the beginning of the movie, I think Lucy's mother abandons her, leaves her, something like that. And um, they find her, and she's left with uh, Sean Penn, the Sean Penn character, her dad, uh, to be the caretaker. But the courts are saying, no, there's no way he could take care of her. He's mentally handicapped. He barely has the intellectual capacity to take care of himself, let alone a growing young girl. And so they go to court, and he hires this lawyer. No one thinks that, no one thinks that he should have custody. But she takes upon this case, and after a while, you know, Sean Penn, just, he, he really needs to know that she believes that he can do it. That she believes that he deserves the right to take care of, the, uh, of his daughter. And they're developing a a relationship where he feels comfortable talking to her and he he feels like, you know, she's on my side. And and at at a certain point, he begins to realize that maybe she has doubts. 
that maybe she doesn't believe that he can do it. And so in this one like emotionally charged moment, he says to her, he says, do you think I can do it? Do you believe I can do it? He's like, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I believe. He's like, no, you're just like them. You think like them too, don't you? You think that I can't take care of Lucy. You're just like them, aren't you? And she says, listen, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters that we win. He says, no, it matters to me. It matters to me. And what God is saying is, Jonah, you think they don't matter, but they do matter. They do matter. It matter. They matter to me. And that's the reason I'm sending you to Nineveh, because they matter, because I love them. And for all of the next few chapters, God is trying to get him to see that. And God is getting me to see that the people that I least care about matter to him. They matter to him. And I say, God, they don't matter. And he says, yes, they do. They matter. They matter. And he wants us to see that they matter to him also. This is the first thing. God calls us to Nineveh because he loves them. The second thing that we see then, the second thing that we see is that God will do whatever he needs to do in order to get us to Nineveh. He will do whatever he needs to do to get us there because he loves them, because he cares for them. He'll do whatever it takes Jonah runs away, verse 4, chapter 1. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it up. Now understand this, that the sailors are professional sailors. They know what they're doing. They check their forecast. They know what the weather is going to be. They don't go out if a storm is going to come of this degree. And so it's clear to them that this is beyond their circumstances. This is something that God is doing. And so Jonah makes it clear in the book of Jonah, verse 4, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Literally means God threw a great wind on the sea, right? It wasn't there before. He throws this great wind on it. And so the people are in a panic. All the sailors, verse 5, were afraid and cry out to his own God, verse uh, continuing, and they threw the cargo. So God throws a, a, a wind. They start throwing the cargo, right? Because they know that the boat is going to sink unless they do. They're throwing the cargo. They're praying to their gods. The only, these are not God-believing, God-fearing sailors. These are pagan sailors. They're doing what Jonah ought to be doing. In fact, they're doing the very thing that God is doing. God's throwing. They're throwing. All right, they go back, and it says in verse 7, Come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Again, what do you think this word cast is? They threw lots. They're throwing again. But where is Jonah? Remember, God is up. The wickedness is rising up. Jonah goes down to Joppa, and it says in verse 5, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So Jonah's knocked out. I don't know how you can be sleeping in the midst of a storm like this, but Jonah basically feels like, I don't care. You know, I can die. That's fine. I can die. I'm cool. As long as the Ninevites don't get saved, that's fine. I'm willing to die. He's got a death wish on him. Ready to die. They cast lots. They're throwing at God is throwing the sailors. Everybody is throwing in order to get Jonah's attention. But Jonah's sleeping. The last thing that they throw, the last thing that they throw, verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. So the last thing that they throw is they take Jonah, throw him into the sea and everything becomes calm. 
And at this point, you see, again, Jonah is getting deeper and deeper and deeper and further and further and further. Right? Jonah's going to the place where the Ninevites, he thinks the Ninevites ought to go. It's at this point, at this point, that chapter 2, verse 1 says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. So you see, Jonah saying, I'm, I'm ready to die. I'm willing to die. That's cool. That's fine. And they throw Jonah into the water. And somehow as he's sinking deeper and deeper and deeper, he realizes, no, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And it's there that God sends a fish to swallow him. A lot of times we think, oh, man, Jonah, what a, what a bum existence, man. Dude got swallowed by a fish. But you understand that the fish was not God's judgment. It was his salvation. If not for the fish, Jonah would have drowned in the sea. But as soon as Jonah comes to his senses, God sends a fish to swallow him in order to save him. And so here's Jonah, three days in the belly of a fish. Uh, we can't even imagine this because we've never been inside of a fish. But three days, if you look at what these, guys, what these books are saying, these historical accounts of people who've been inside a fish, it's not the Ritz-Carlton here. Right, he's hanging out inside. Of, it's slimy. You got oobleck all over you, slime all over you. It's nasty. It's hot in there, hotter than a summer day in the sanctuary. He's burning up. Probably got like water, seaweed smell all over him, and he's not Asian. So he's not like eating the seaweed. He's, this is deathly in here. But for three days, the gift of God is that he's alone to think. To think about why am I in this mess? How long am I going to be in here? This is really awful. He begins to pray this prayer. From the beginning of chapter 1 until where we are right now, think of all the things that God did to try and get Jonah's attention so that he could go to Nineveh. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The first time, go to Nineveh. He ignores the word. So he uses sailors, people. He uses a storm, circumstances. He uses a silence and the solitude of being inside the belly of a fish. Listen, some of you, God may be calling you to go to a place called Nineveh. That might be your school where you feel like, you know what? These people don't deserve God. It might be a foreign country. It might be another city. It might be to a professor. It might be to that boss at work. It might be to a coworker. But God is sending you somewhere where there's a people that need God and a people to whom you don't want to go. A people that will take you out of your comfort zone. But God is saying, will you go to them? Yeah, it's the cool people in school. And you don't feel like you belong there. But God is saying, that's your Nineveh. And he's doing whatever it takes in order to get you there. He uses scripture. He used the sailors. He used the circumstance. He uses silence. He used all of these things in order to get Jonah to go to the people that God cares about. Have you been hearing God? Have you been ignoring him? Have you been hearing the voice of God saying, go to these people? But you've conveniently said, God, I don't want to hear that from you. God will do whatever it takes to get you there. This, um, for the past well, so we have this baby girl, um, Elise, cute, lovely. Um, she's so, to, to me, she's like beautiful, perfect, happy-go-lucky. But for four or five weeks, she had a dirty little secret. 
and tell you what it is. For about five weeks, she didn't go poop. I mean, she would a little tiny, like, Tootsie Roll, but that's about it. Nothing really. Hershey Kiss, M&M, tiny. That's it. Four or five weeks, it was all stuck up in there. We're like, oh, man, this is bad. So after a week, we called the doctor. What should we do? Every week, we're checking in. They're like, oh, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this. They're telling us all these things to do. But she looked fine the whole time. She's happy. She's smiling. <laughs> you know, the only time she's not when Elijah, like, steps on her or something, and she cries. But otherwise, happy, chilling, laying down. Hey, hey, you know, mommy, hey. But for five weeks, she didn't go poop. It's sad. You're like, come on, come on, go. She realized about Tuesday and Wednesday of this past week that, hey, you know, it's not comfortable being like this. And so while she was taking a bath on Tuesday night, she tried to go. She started squealing. She started crying. She started shaking and hyperventilating in her tears. It was a very, very sad thing for us. We had tried everything the doctor said to do. We gave her prune juice. And we bought this huge thing of prune juice. And we're supposed to give her like this much. So I said, I'm going to drink some prune juice too just because I paid $5 for it. I drank it and immediately I started going to the bathroom. I was like, hey, this stuff works, but it didn't work for her. After a while, she realized, this. I don't like the taste of this. So the doctors had give her apple and prune, grape and prune mixed together. But she didn't like that either. We gave her um, this laxative. It's this like laxative that you put in her, the hole that stuff was to come out, we squeeze that in her several times. We had other people do it because we didn't think we were doing it right. The doctor said, put a thermometer up there. Just kind of put it up there and it'll come back out. The whole, I mean, we're being careful. You know, she's not in pain or anything like that. So we're like, oh, come on. And we're trying all of these different things. We actually, we even switched. The doctor told us you can use this thing called Reguline. It's a different kind of formula to make you regular. So we gave her Reguline. Nothing was working. So that night she's squealing. She's crying. So we're like lifting up her legs. Go, go, go. We're praying like, Lord, in the name of Jesus, let her come out. <laughs> praying for her, doing all of these things. We're putting our hands literally on her, on her, on her butt to make it come out. Olive's pushing it, trying to make it tender so it'll come out. And she's squealing and she's crying. Olive was like taking a Q-tip and, and scraping. At one point, I said, I would, I'll take a, I thought about taking a straw and just sucking it out so that it would come out. <laughs> After about 30 minutes of battling, this projectile came out. <laughs> I've never been so happy to see poop in my life. It was glorious and heaven was rejoicing. The angels came down and we were singing. We were worshiping the Lord God, but we were willing to do whatever it took in order to get the poop out of her because that's what love does. Whatever it takes. And God was willing to do whatever it took to, take, took to get Jonah the poop out of there in order to get to Nineveh because that's what love does. Because he cares for the people of Nineveh. God will do whatever it takes in your life and in my life to get us there because he cares for these people. Has God, has God been calling you to a people that you're afraid to go to, that you don't want to go to, that you think doesn't deserve the mercy of God? He will do whatever it takes. And Jonah realizes, you know what? As he's falling deeper and deeper and deeper, further and further away in the water, he realizes that what I'm doing is, take, is, is hurting me and it's hurting people around me. 
See, when we sin, it says he paid the fare. It says he paid the fare in verse 3. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. It always costs something to run away from God. You know this, right? And not only cost to yourself, but the sailors were affected by it also. When we live in disobedience, we run away from God. It affects our family. It affects our friends. It affects other people. And Jonah realizes that for me to run away from God, it's hurting too many people. And so in the midst of the fish, he says, okay, fine, I'll go. We're not going to read all of this, but if you read it later, he prays this prayer. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land so that he could go. He goes and he preaches. I mean, this message is ridiculous. Listen to the sermon. Um, where, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believe it. What kind of a message is that? Walking through the city. All right, fine, I'm going to do it. 40 days and Nineveh's going to die. And he walks out of the city. He turns around and all these people are saved. They're believing. It's like, what the heck? the worst message ever no grace god loves you he cares for you repent and 40 more days and nineveh will be overturned that's it walks out cities revived it's crazy you see jonah hasn't been changed the way that we see this because of what we see in chapter three and chapter four but you also see it in chapter two because every time Verse 10, chapter 2, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It didn't eject him. It didn't release him. It didn't free him. It didn't set him, let him go. It vomited him. Every time the Bible uses the word vomit, it says something is disgusting within. That's why I said in chapter 2, the message of chapter 2 is fine, I'll go. Because Jonah prays this prayer. It sounds really good, but really it's all about him. Eight verses in this prayer, 10 times he says, I, 13 times he says, me or my, or myself. This is, we've seen this for 41 weeks. This is all about Jesus, but Jonah's singing this song. It's all about me. And it's disgusting within the fish. And the fish vomits Jonah. Why? Why even bother with Jonah? God, get somebody else. But he doesn't give up on Jonah. And he hasn't given up on Nineveh because God loves Nineveh too much for Jonah to just die in the belly of a fish or the belly of the ocean. God spits him out. Can I tell you something? Just because God uses you doesn't mean that you're right with God. Just because God is blessing your Bible study class, because God is blessing the ministry that you lead, your house church, your finances, your school, doesn't mean you're right with God. What does it mean? It means that God loves those people too much to let you get in the way of his love for them. And don't be presumptuous. Just because people are getting blessed doesn't mean you're in the right. right? You got to get yourself right with God. But in the meantime, because of God's love for the Ninevites, he will use you. Because his love is bigger than your failures, your sin, your mistakes. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Learn from Jonah. The last thing. Nineveh is waiting for you.
And this is probably the worst sermon you could ever hear in your life, which not the one I'm giving. Hopefully it's not the worst one, but the one that Jonah preaches. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. Evil, wicked, wayward, terrible, cruel people. One line and they're like, okay, we need God. What does that say? Other than that, they were waiting. They were ready. All they needed was someone to just come and, and tell them what they needed to do. And so Jonah is so upset. He's so angry. City of 120,000 Hitlers. 120,000 Paul Pot. 120,000 Boko Haram. 120,000 terrorists. In an instant, they believe God. And Jonah is so angry at that. And he's so mad that that happened. And so he sits under the, it says in, in chapter 4, he's waiting to see what happens to the city. He still has hope that they're going to be burned. He still has hope that they're going to be destroyed. He's hoping against hope that, that, that that's going to happen. And so God says, okay, Jonah, let me show you something. And he, he, he brings this, literally it says Jonah's burning with anger. And so it says God brings the sun and it scorches his head. So Jonah is literally burning. God is fun. If you read the book of Jonah from a Hebrew perspective, this is hilarious. Some of the things that happen. But Jonah's head is burning and God says, okay, I'm going to provide a vine. So he creates this vine to provide shade so that he no longer burns. And then the next day, he provides a worm to eat the vine. And all of a sudden, Jonah's head is burning again. And so God says, Jonah, you're burning. Do you have a right to burn? And Jonah says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. And then God says, listen, if you have been this angry and concerned about a vine. Well, let's read what he says at the end of chapter four. Should I not, the very last verse, should I not be concerned about that great city? God says, listen, you're so concerned about this vine that sprang up over there. You didn't do anything. You didn't care for it. You didn't love it. You didn't, you didn't tend it. It just came up. And you're so upset when it died. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And as customary with Jonah, he doesn't answer. <laughs> the book just ends. Why? Because this is a question that lingers throughout the centuries. And it comes to us here. God says, listen, I'm trying to send you to Nineveh. Will you go? Will you go? Do you know that they need you? Do you know that they're waiting for you? Should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not be concerned about that group of people? Should I not be concerned about those people in, in school? Should I not be concerned about your coworkers at work? Should I not be concerned? And that question just kind of hangs and it haunts and it pursues and it chases. Like despite what you may see, there are a people in Nineveh who are waiting for you. Who are waiting for you. And God loves them, and that's why he's calling you to them. That's why he's sending you to them. That's why he's saying, will you go to my people? Will you go to Nineveh? Will you go to UCF? Will you go to UF? Will you go to these places? And will you bring my message to them? 
The enemy wants us to be afraid. The devil wants us to be afraid, to not go. But God says, should I not be concerned? Because Nineveh needs you. Let me tell you something. Last year, there was a guy in Ecuador. His name is Gonzalo, a guy named Gonzalo. Grew up in the poorest rural village in Ecuador. A guy named Gonzalo. He worked and studied so hard to get out of that village, made it to a university, studied his, just worked his heart out in order to graduate on top of his class and was offered a great job in the big city. Every person's dream from that tribe, from that area, from that people group. But he rejected that job. All of his parents' friends says, what is Gonzalo thinking? Gonzalo's parents said, Gonzalo, what are you thinking? But he moved to the Amazon area of Ecuador where we do ministry in partnership with us so that he could be a missionary in that area, ministering to people in Sinangue, Cabeno, Dashina. Why? What was he thinking? He's thinking, Nineveh is waiting for me. So he went. 2007, Sarah, one of our own, heard the call of God. You need to go to Jordan. There's a people in the Middle East that need me. And so she wrestled with it, but God pursued her heart. And she said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave my coverings. I'm going to leave my family. Her brother, Paul, said to me one day, he said, I know she wants to follow God, but why does she have to go all the way out to Jordan to do that? People said, why? Because Nineveh needed her. And they were waiting for her. Three years ago, I'm sorry, uh, several years ago, three of our people, Seho, Kenny, Danny, went to a conference called Urbana. They heard the call of God. Kenny heard, and there he said, you know what? I'm going to commit a year of my life to go to people who don't know the gospel, who don't know Jesus. I'm going to spend a year there, whatever that looks like. I don't know what it looks like. And in a few months, he's going to cash in on that commitment. People everywhere are telling him. His friends are saying, what are you doing? His parents are asking, what are you thinking? People are like, why? Why are you going there? Because he's heard the call of God. Because Nineveh is waiting for him. There are Ninevehs everywhere. Seho, the year after, 2010, earthquakes devastated Haiti. He said, I've got to go because Nineveh awaits me. He went that year. He went the next year. He got married to a girl that was there. Hey, did you know that maybe Nineveh is waiting for you, but God has something prepared for you in Nineveh also? That it is to your blessing and to your benefit that you go, obeying the call of God. See, this question lingers. It hangs out. And the people who read it, people of Israel are reading it. And they're, Jonah was such a bum. What a jerk prophet he was. And for the rest of their existence, they're waiting and waiting and waiting. Couldn't there be a better prophet Jonah went, he did his thing, but his heart was so not in it. His message was there. It was incomplete. It was truncated, but God still used him. And they're saying, there's got to be a better representative for us. And so we see in Matthew chapter 12, there is a man who comes onto the scene and he starts talking about the sign of Jonah. In Matthew 12, 41, it says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. 
all of the world was waiting for a true prophet. And the faulty, flawed logic of Jonah. I would rather die than live if the Ninevites are going to live instead of die. I would rather die if that's going to happen. There would come 700 years later one greater than Jonah who would say, I would rather die than live in order that they would rather live and not die. Jonah was okay, good for a children's story, but deeply and painfully jacked up in every way. It's not be like Jonah. The whole point is put your trust in the greater Jonah, Jesus, who came full of mercy, full of grace, full of truth. And only when we put our faith in him, who went to the Nineveh of this world, Only when we put our trust in him and look to him and have our hearts busted wide open by the mercy as endless as the sea that he showed to us. Only when we look to him are we then able to go to the Ninevehs that God has called us to go to. It's all about him. Fix our gaze upon him. He's calling us to go. Let's obey because Nineveh waits for us. Let's pray and ask the Lord God, where are you sending me? Where are you calling me to go? He says in that old song, I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry. I will send my light to them. Whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? That our response would be, here am I, Lord. Is it I? I've heard you calling in the night. Here I am. I will go. I will hold your people in my heart. Will we hear the call of God? Maybe some of you. God is putting in your heart right now to make a commitment and to say, whatever it takes, I'm going to go to the mission field this uh, upcoming summer as soon as I can. Maybe for some of you, it's, man, I need to go to a people in my school. I need to go to people in my workplace. There's people that when I think of those to whom I can witness to, people come to mind, but then there's others. I say, no, they're not ready. I can't. They don't need Jesus. That could be the Nineveh that awaits you right now. Let's pray to the Lord God. Maybe some of us can pray right now and make a commitment. And say, Lord, I'll go. If you put it on my heart, I'll go. If you prod my heart, I'll go. There are people waiting. There are people waiting. Despite what they look like, they're waiting. They're ready. They need me. Help me to go. Let's pray. Let's pray. Pray a prayer of surrender, of commitment. Say, Lord, here am I. Heard you calling in the night, and I will go. I'll go. The people need me. I'll go. Let's pray for a minute right now. And I'll uh, close us in prayer.
Father in heaven, at one point we were in a place, a place that you might consider to be Nineveh. Somebody came to us in our time of greatest need. They loved us and they brought a message of hope so that we would not be destroyed, so that we could live and not die. Father, you're calling us to go to a people who are dying rather than living. Jesus, you said, what good is it for a man, for a person, a woman to gain the whole world and lose their soul? That anyone who wants to find their life must lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it in the end. Jesus, in this upside-down kingdom that actually makes everything right side up, you came from up there to come down here so that what's down here could get up there and that you could renew the world through us. Father, may we hear the voice of love, the voice of God that calls out to us and sends us to the people in need because they are indeed waiting. May we follow you in love. Thank you, Lord. May it be our joy to say your will, your way, always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.